invite you to turn to the book of 1 Peter. Book of 1 Peter, chapter 3. Our text this morning is a short one, but one verse. But I'd like to pick up our context from verse 1, because these past two weeks really go together. It would be uh, my hope that in perhaps in weeks to come we'll even be able to make available uh, an audio CD of them together, because they really should be listened to together, because you cannot be a wife without a husband, and you cannot be a husband without a wife. And so Peter gives us this word from the Lord. Hear now the word of the Lord that is infallible, sufficient, and authoritative. Likewise, wives, be subject to your own husbands, so that even if some do not obey the word, they may be one without a word by the conduct of their wives, when they see your respectful and pure conduct. Do not let your adorning be external, the braiding of hair, the wearing of gold, or the putting on of clothing. But let your adorning be the hidden person of the heart, with the imperishable beauty of a gentle and quiet spirit, which in God's sight is very precious. For this is how the holy women who hoped in God used to adorn themselves, by submitting to their husbands, as Sarah obeyed Abraham, calling him Lord. And you are your children, you are her children, if you do good and do not fear anything that is frightening. Likewise, husbands, live with your wives in an understanding way, showing honor to the woman as the weaker vessel, since they are heirs with you of the grace of life, so that your prayers may not be hindered. Thus far the reading of God's word. Let us pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you that you have given to us this word from your apostle Peter, and we pray that it would be used to strengthen marriages, to strengthen families, to strengthen individuals, that your church might proclaim the glory of your gospel. We ask all this in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, perhaps you ladies last week were waiting for the other shoe to drop. Perhaps you husbands were thinking about a potential excuse to travel today to conveniently miss this sermon. And I think sometimes that comes about because our concept of fathers and husbands today in modern America is very confusing. And it's not a recent phenomenon. One of my favorite family films of all time is a film called Mary Poppins. Some of you have seen it, right? Some of you have seen it more than once. And there's this wonderful scene that occurs, oh, I don't know, what, maybe 15, 20 minutes into the movie, right after we've seen the household of Mr. and Mrs. Banks. And I believe it comes right after the admiral next door fires his cannon and they're trying to save all the vases and the house is a complete mess because they're trying to get everything back together. And into this, just moving from chaos, strides George Banks. And he sings a song, which I will not do for you, of how his life is one of precision and consistency. At 6.01, he walks through the door. At 6.02, he gets his pipe. His children are neatly pressed. He pats them on the head. His meal is ready. He sits in his chair. Oh, a British bank is run with precision. A British family should be run much the same. 
right? And then as we watch through the movie, we find out that basically George doesn't have a clue. His house isn't run with precision. It really kind of goes on without him. He's pretty absent. He's absent, so absent, as a matter of fact, in his marriage that he has no idea what his wife does. His wife is, at the time, one of the leading proponents of women getting the vote, which is exactly the opposite of George's view in public life. And we get the idea that this man just really isn't involved in his family. There's, there's a modern example of this, too, that can be humorous. Maybe some of you know this. It's a show called Everybody Loves Raymond. And Raymond's job is to kind of walk around through life and try as hard as he can not to upset his wife. Because when he upsets his wife, that means work and trouble. He doesn't really have much involvement as well in leading. You see, that's often the case with men. We need instruction in how to properly lead our families. And we're getting a lot of instruction today in the world. And nearly all of it is bad. And so we need to find a place where we can get good instruction in how to lead in our homes and how to be good husbands and how to have marriages that glorify God and our places where the gospel is found. And where better to go than to the scriptures? And where better to go in the scriptures than to the apostle Peter, he the practical fisherman? And so we look here at verse 7. It's a short verse, but there's much in it. This will be one of those occasions where we'll get a chance to look at just about every word. That has significance. And we're going to look at three things. The first thing we'll look at is the husband's duty in the marriage. The husband's duty in the marriage. And then secondly, Peter gives us the reason why this duty is outlined. God doesn't do things for no purpose. There's a reason that God gives us this duty. And then thirdly, God explains to us the result that comes from neglecting this duty. This is important to the Lord, and so it's important to us. So let's look then first at the husband's duty. The duty of the husband. It begins right with this first word. Likewise, husbands, live with your wives in an understanding way. We've seen this before, this little word, likewise. It points us back to something in the past. Do this in the same way that something has been done before. Now, we looked last week. I'm not going to go into it in depth. If if you need more exegesis on this, download the MP3. But we looked at the fact that the Bible never calls husbands to submit to wives. It never calls masters to submit to servants. So the likewise here does not go back to the second part of verse 1, be subject to your own husbands. It's not saying, Peter is not saying, well, you know, just like wives are subject to you, husbands, you be subject to your wives. That doesn't make any sense in the light of Ephesians 5 and 6 and in the things that we've looked at last week. But what does it mean? There is a likewise here. The likewise here points us back to the larger context. And if you don't mind drawing in your Bibles, you may want to think about drawing a line at verse 11 of chapter 2. Because Chapter 2, verses 11 and 12 form the headline of the newspaper that follows. The big words are, Have your work such 
that others will see them and glorify God. And he said, this is how you do that with the government. This is how you do this at work. This is how you do this as a wife. And now, husband, this is how you do that as a husband. That's the bigger context. You see, God takes family duties very seriously. And it is not because marriage is the bedrock of society. And it is not because certain governments want to pass certain laws. It's because the family is an institution created by God where his gospel can be seen. That's why. You see, this is not a call to submission. If we think about the ancient context for this, Peter's call here in verse 7 is actually going beyond the biblical norms. People that lived in this day and age would not be liberated men. They would not wear fancy perfume. They would not have sleek clothing. They would not be, what are they, what's the word today? Metrosexual. No, these were manly men. And actually, in Roman society, there was a very specific example of this. The father actually had a title. Yes, kids, if you think your dad could sometimes come a little heavy on the punishment, in Roman society, the father was called the pater familias, which is just Latin for the father of the family. But the pater familias had enshrined in Roman law the power of life and death. If his child was disobedient, he was within his rights to put him or her to death. Now, obviously, this was not enacted, but perhaps a few times in Roman legend. But still, that's the, the milieu that we're in. That's the, the context that Peter is talking to. And you'll notice that Peter doesn't say to these fathers and husbands, no, you know, you really don't have any real authority. You really, you should be mutually submitting. You should really just try and be nice. No, what Peter says is, you have God-given authority but you must use it for a God-given purpose. God doesn't give authority in a vacuum. He gives authority for a reason. And fathers and husbands are called to lead their families in following God. This is what it means to be a servant leader. We often think today this is bandied about, especially in church. And what that means is to be a servant leader should be that we should find all of the worst, most demeaning jobs and hand them off to the elders so that they can show they're not above them. That's a servant leader. But that's not what this means. And that's not what being a servant leader is. There's something more than that. Being a servant leader means deliberately taking your interests and placing them behind another's. And that happens whether you sweep the floor or teach or work with a contractor or an architect or play music. It doesn't matter what you do. You are putting others ahead of yourself. That is what kind of a leader husbands are called to be. You see, the motive here is critical. It is to glorify God. The focus should not be on ourselves, but on others and what Peter says is that the husband's duty is to dwell with understanding with their wives. Dwell with understanding. This is a pretty potent command. It doesn't seem like much. We might think, well, that means live in the same house and sort of be nice. Don't be crude. No. 
The word here for dwell has the connotation of living very closely together, having an intimate relationship, being joined together. It actually, in a sense, the Greek word means to build a home together. The word for together and to build a house or a home. That's what husbands are called to do. To live with their wives, to be intimate with their wives, emotionally, intellectually. And to do that in an understanding way. And this is, sometimes we're thrown off by this. There's at least one translation that really misses the point here. Living with your wife in an understanding way, husbands, does not mean being considerate. It doesn't mean always picking up your socks. It doesn't mean clearing the table. You see, it means much more than that. There's a a series of very fashionable commercials that come out now trying to get husbands to buy expensive jewelry for their wives at Christmas. Describing that guy. Have you ever heard that? That guy does all kinds of things. He sits and listens to his wife for hours. He asks her, how can I help you? Honey, could I please give you a foot rub? Oh, I'd like to do it for longer than you'd like. And the commercial ends with, because you're not that guy, buy her a big ring. But you see, sometimes we get the the thought that that's what being a good husband is. It's being very considerate to our wives, listening for long periods of time, doing all of the outward things. But you see, this is Peter's parallel to the wearing of hair and gold and clothing. You see, you can do that on the outside, and it has no effect on the inside. As a matter of fact, one of the things that when they get together, that older married husbands can do and give advice to young married husbands is to say, you know, there's a certain way that you can listen to your wife for about 20 minutes while watching the football game and not missing a play. It's a matter of rightly timed, oh, of course, honey. Well, yes, you're right. You could do these things externally without them having any internal effect. That's not what Peter wants. What Peter says is dwell with your wife in an understanding way. You must know your wife, husbands. You must know her goals. You must know her gifts. You must know her frustrations. You must know her desires. Because only by knowing your wife can you truly love your wife. Right? The Bible is full of calls to the people of God to what? To know God. Because it's only by knowing God that we can love Him. But you see, understanding means more than just knowing who your wife is. It also, knowledge is always linked in the Scriptures with the knowledge of God's Word. So, what does that mean, husbands? It means if you are to dwell with your wife in an understanding way, you'd better crack open your Bibles. It doesn't matter how busy you are at work. You must study the Scriptures. You must know God's Word so that you can properly know your wife, so that you can properly lead her. And see that your home is a place where the Gospel is found. But you must not just know your wife. Peter says you must honor your wife. He says we are to show honor to the woman. Honor your wife. This is not mere emotionalism. You know, there's 
a saying, maybe you've heard it once. It goes something like this. You know, if mama's not happy, nobody's happy. Right? And the idea is to make mom and the wife as happy as can be because then things run smooth in the family. And that's not what Peter's talking about. He's not saying just lift your wife up for that reason. He's saying, don't be harsh, be affirming. Lift your wife up, point her to the Lord Jesus Christ. You see, we are called to show honor to the woman. God is pleased to honor the weak things of the world. And so, we as husbands, as leaders in our home, should be acting like God. Showing honor and respect. Just because your wife is called to submit does not mean that she is not entitled to all honor and respect. God commands you to that, husbands. This is your duty before God. It's not just pious advice to have a good marriage. It's God's command for you. And there's a reason for this. And it's very interesting, especially in our day and age, The reason for this duty, the first reason, is that your wife is delicate. Yes, your wife is delicate. Even Peter, the rough fisherman, saw that. Look at what he says. Giving honor to the woman as the weaker vessel. What does this mean? Weaker how? Does it mean weaker in intelligence? Does it mean weaker in essence? No. It means the things that we think by common sense. Generally speaking, Women are weaker in strength. The average woman doesn't bench press as much as the average man. Yes, husbands, sometimes ladies need help opening a jar. They need help carrying things. They're weaker in that respect. God has given them that gift for a reason. They're also weaker in authority because they're not called to lead. And you see, sometimes women are forced to lead because men abdicate. Honor your wife. Lead so that she is not forced to. We also can say, I think, that in a sense, women are weaker, softer in emotionalism. Right? This may come as a shock to you, ladies, but we men don't go around writing encouraging notes to each other. We just don't do that. That's not what men do. We have our wives do that for us. You see, that's a weakness, but it's also a great strength. And it doesn't surprise us that that kind of complementary nature is God joining the man and the woman. This is what he means by weakness. Now, this is important in our day and age, not because women need to be kept in their place, but because femininity needs to be acknowledged and encouraged. Peter is giving here an affirmation of femininity. You see, our society wants to make everyone the same. Not equal. The same. And so it wants to make women more masculine. Masculine haircuts. Go ahead and join the army. Do whatever you want to do. And it wants to make men more feminine. Get in touch with your feminine side. Wear sleek clothing. Get a manicure. So that everyone can be the same. But you see, in my Bible, it doesn't say God created them people, does it? It says God created them male and female. You see, and Peter acknowledges this. The word here for woman is very interesting. Peter could have said, give honor to the woman 
He could have said, give honor to the wife. There's two Greek, perfectly good Greek words for that. He uses the word, it's actually an adjective. He says, give honor to the feminine one. He's affirming the fact that women are called to be feminine. This, our society is blasting all the time. If you have the opportunity, I encourage you to see the documentary that Matthew Campbell worked on. Because it's all about affirming the femininity of women. Husbands, encourage your wife to be a woman. Encourage her in her femininity. But you see, when you honor your wife as a delicate person, that doesn't mean that you should make it an occasion for sin. What do I mean by that? Well, you honor your wife and her femininity and honor her role in your marriage, but that doesn't mean giving in to everything that she wants. You see, some pictures of modern society are like that. You want a happy marriage? You know, it's 50-50. Wife says what she wants, the husband gives it to her. No. Because you see, the Bible is full of examples of, of men who have done that. You may recall a few of them. The first was a man who was no slouch on wisdom, Solomon. And the Bible says that he had all these wives, and he spent all these, this time pleasing them and giving them what they wanted, and he never asked any questions. And it led Israel to idolatry because he was soft in giving in all the time to his wife, to his wives. There's another example. You may say, well, Solomon couldn't handle it. He had however many it was, 500 wives. I don't blame him. He couldn't handle that many. How about another man by the name of Ahab? And giving in to what his wife wanted, that made him a murderer. He was more willing to murder than to displease his wife. But it's not just actions, men. Because the greatest sin of all in this context was committed by a man whose name is Adam. Because you see, Adam was silent in the garden before his wife. He gave in to his wife's desire to eat of the fruit of the tree. And it was Adam's sin that was culpable. Because he was silent where he should have spoken. Honoring your wife as delicate doesn't mean giving in to her. But it does mean honoring her as a co-heir. You see, Peter says, your wife is a co-heir with you. He says, your wives are heirs with you, together with you. You see, you are to honor your wife because God places honor on her. God says that she is a joint heir with you. We can think of an immediate picture for that. How many of you think you are somehow lesser Christians than those who are of Jewish descent? Anyone here? Second class Christian? You see, Gentiles, of which I'm guessing nearly all of us are, are called co-heirs with the Jews. You see, we, in a sense, are co-heirs. We know what it's like to be a co-heir, to be valued. We saw a personal example of this last week with Abraham and Sarah. Sarah inherited the promised land as well. Sarah had a place to call home. Sarah had a blessing in Isaac. 
You see, God says that your wife is a co-heir with you. And you are to dwell with her with understanding and to honor her for the Lord's sake. Getting us back to our likewise. That's what men are called to do. And it's not just that she's a co-heir in some general sense. Look here, she is the recipient of grace. Your wife is the recipient of grace. We are called to dwell with them with understanding as heirs with you of the grace of life. What a wonderful biblical phrase. What's Peter saying here? Well, in a nutshell, husbands, he's saying that Jesus Christ died for your wife. And if Jesus Christ viewed your wife as valuable enough to die for, can you at least live with understanding with her? That's how much value the Lord places on women. This is completely unique in all religions throughout the world. Only Christianity grants true, essential value to females as biblically pointed as the great, as created in the image of God. Ladies, you would not want to be anywhere near a Muslim country. In a Muslim country, women are somewhere between a good dog and a bad horse. But you see, the Bible affirms the value of women as co-heirs, as recipients of the grace of God, as worthy of the grace of God. This is the reason why God tells husbands to honor and dwell with their wives. And then Peter does something that we often do as parents. He gives us the result of neglecting the duty. You do this all the time with your children, don't you? You may say, son... I need you to mow the lawn. Or I need you to clean up your room. And just so you know, if you don't, this will happen. You won't get the car. You'll be grounded. No dessert. We lay out the consequences of disobedience to spur on obedience, don't we? We do this all the time as parents. And so Peter does that. With us, he says, you know, husbands, if you're not listening to me, if you don't hear the value in this, let me tell you how seriously God takes this. This is not just about good families. This is about the gospel. And he says, the first thing that will happen is you will have a disrupted prayer life. A disrupted prayer life. Look at the end of verse 7. So that your prayers may not be hindered. Doesn't that seem odd to you? Wouldn't it be more expected for Peter to say something like, if you don't, there will be contention in your home. If you don't, your children will not grow up properly. If you don't, the Lord will not bless you and you will be poor instead of rich. That one's real popular today in American TV evangelists. But you see, Peter doesn't deal with any of those things. He goes straight for the heart. He says, if you don't obey this command, your prayer life will be disrupted. Why doesn't... This shouldn't surprise us at all. Because why would we expect God to bless sin? Right? 
We don't expect to sin and receive blessing from God. And if we are not obeying God's command, if we're not doing our duty as husbands, if we're not honoring our wives, if we're not dwelling with them with understanding, if we're not encouraging them so that they might submit, so that they might fulfill their proper roles, if we're not interested in having our, our homes be tiny dioramas of the gospel, why would we expect God to bless that? It just makes sense. You may think of a Bible passage in James, in James chapter 4, where these people are walking around going, I don't know what's going on. We keep asking God for these things, and he doesn't give them to us. He never answers our prayers. And James says, you don't understand. You don't get, not because you don't ask, but because you ask amiss. You want them for yourself and your own selfish reasons, and not for God's glory. Why would God give you something when you ask in a sinful fashion. So this has application here. Husbands, if you want your wives to honor and respect you, you must not be sinning in your home. If you want your children to respect you and your authority, you must not be sinning against your wife in your home. If you want to have great ministry, you must not be sinning in your home. Because you cannot have ministry when you don't obey the commands of God. You could talk till you're blue in the face with Bible verses memorized in multiple versions and Greek and Hebrew. And if you disobey this command, the person you're witnessing to is going to go, yeah, this guy really cares if I get saved. (laughs) He doesn't even care about his wife. She has to live with him. You see... The family is a place where the gospel is to be displayed in all of its purity, glory, and wonder. Others should look at our homes and see that while they are not perfect, they are places of honor and forgiveness and grace and mercy. To see that the gospel works. You see, we don't obtain the gospel so that it can work, but when you get the gospel, it always works. It's God's way of changing lives. You see, this duty is a part of the created order, and God wants to get the attention of men who are not obedient to it. And he will disrupt your prayer life. There's also another thing that's involved here. It's not just a prayer life that's disrupted, It's a marriage that's disrupted. Because the word here for your prayers could be taken two ways. It could be your husband's prayers, or it could be your husband and wife prayers. You see, what Peter is saying is, how do you expect to have a vibrant, good, positive, uplifting relationship with your wife if you're not seeking to know her, seeking to honor her, seeking to build her up, pointing her to Jesus. It's one of the reasons why someone usually mentions at every Christian marriage that there's a third person in the marriage who's the most important person, the Lord Jesus Christ. You see, it's only by obeying the commands of God that we can have a proper relationship with our wives. You see, God is not concerned that our wives feel good. Or this would be longer than verse 7. There'd be verse 8 that says, And be sure to always write down and remember her anniversary. 
and remember not just the wedding anniversary, but the anniversary of the first date and the first kiss and the anniversary of the engagement and the first house, right? If Peter was just interested in making wives happy, but he's not. He's interested in homes being a place where the gospel is seen. This is his point. Peter ends here by not by saying, listen, it's not just that your prayer life will be disrupted. It's not just that your marriage will be disrupted. He says your relationship with God will be disrupted. You may say, well, you know, I'm too busy to pray anyway. I got other things to do. I'll read my Bible. Well, you know, my wife and I, we get along okay. We, we don't, maybe we don't dwell with understanding, but we live under the same roof. Maybe you know families that do that. I've known a few where living under the same roof is like two ships passing in the night. You ever known married couples that sleep in separate rooms? And I don't mean in their 70s. I mean in their 30s. You know people that are married who work six days a week on different coasts? You see, God is so concerned here that he says, if your homes are not places where the gospel can be seen, you are disrupting your relationship with me. God is graciously interrupting the husband's life. He is getting your attention, men. It's like you may have done this with your children. Maybe perhaps you have one of those flat stoves. You know, in the olden days, electric stoves, the coils got red hot. Nowadays, sometimes they get red. Some models don't. Some models are red when they're on and you shut them off, and then they turn black again. There's a little tiny light that says hot. And you've got a child that's walking toward the stove, about to put their hand on the stove. What do you say as a father or mother? Johnny, you might not want to go to the stove. Kind of hot. Right? No. You'll get away from the stove! And you may even come up and wrap them a little bit on the back of the head. you got to look at the stove. I don't want you to leave half your hand on the stove. Right? You intervene. And you intervene in a way to get attention right away. Right? That's what God does here. He's grabbing husbands by the scruff of the neck and saying, Hey, pay attention to my word. This is my gospel you've got in your home. I want others to see it. And he's willing to interrupt his relationship with you. That's how important this is. That's how serious this is to God. Why is this? This is a point that's applicable to all of us. Husbands, wives, children, grandparents. It's because your home is an arena for the gospel. Just like your work is. Just like the state is. Your home is a place for the gospel to be seen. And it is an opportunity and a place where spiritual growth happens for both husbands and wives and children. This is what God is concerned about. This is why he gives us these commands to the family. And so, you might ask yourself, men, do you see yourself as George Banks? Are you just concerned that If somebody walks in your house, they think everything's in order. Wives, are you encouraging your husbands just so that that's the case? Are you just propping up 
the vases so that everything looks to be in place. Maybe you see yourself as Raymond. You're just trying to get through the day with the least amount of nagging. And maybe you wives are happy to see that because that lets you do pretty much whatever you want to do. You could sort of forget about that thing about submitting because your husband's just sort of there. God is calling husbands and wives to more than that. He's even calling you more to more than Father Knows Best. You remember that show? That was a good marriage. He's calling you to more than good marriages and good homes. Mormons can produce good marriages and good homes to the outside world. Take a look at any of their commercials. What they can't produce is a place where Jesus Christ is honored. Where the gospel is seen. Where you are partners with God in the gospel. That's how God makes you a partner in the gospel. You are his partner at home. That's what we are called to, husband. It's a glorious calling. Wives have the same calling. It's just exercised a little differently. We are all called together to let others see the glory of the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ in our homes. May that be the case today, tomorrow, next month, and next year, and so on. Let us pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you that you have blessed us with this calling to know you, to serve you, and to love you. We pray that you would give us the wisdom and grace we need. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.